Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. American needs individuals who not only recognize that righteousness exalted the nation, but sins are reproach to any people. Hello and welcome to Of God Red Man, the show whose host's wife is a true stud finder. <laughs> this is your host, Brom French. It is great, fantastic, wonderful to be back with you. If you want to reach me, you can reach me at 210-854-8029, or you can reach me by email at the letter B, the letter F, at sign B-R-A-H-M, F-R-E-N-C-H dot com. That's B-F at BromFrench.com. Now, if you want to reach me by phone, you're going to have a very difficult time. I am where I've got no reception, and only about once a day am I where reception is. So uh, that has made it a little limited. I was remembering back when, um, when I was in fourth grade. I think that puts us around 1986 or thereabouts. Fourth grade, I was. it was field day, and if you were a boy in the 80s, if there is a day that you're going to want to go to school, it's going to be field day. Any other day, you're more than happy to stay home, have your parents call you in sick, take a doctor's note, whatever, to get out of school, but this is field day. Nobody, no boy in his right mind is going to miss field day. The one day of the year you have gone all year long for this one day. And that was me. I woke up and I'm sick. I don't feel well. I've got, my, my head is just not right. And my body's, well, some would say your head's never right. But <laughs> my body, I, I feel lethargic. Nonetheless, I go to school. Mom gives me the choice and I go to school. It's field day after all. And I participate in the events, and I win a couple races, and we have a jump roping contest, and I won the jump roping contest, and jump roped, I don't remember what it was, probably, I think, around four minutes or something like that, and outlasted everybody else, and now have I have won several awards, I've, I've gotten the blue ribbon, the, the first place for several events. And the end of the day has come, and we're on the bus, and we're heading home. And the bus drops us off. Now, we live about uh, a quarter mile from the bus stop. And we live on a private road, and so the bus does not go down our private road. And it drops us off about a quarter mile from the house. I have gotten off of the bus, and I've got siblings. I've got a younger brother, and I've got older siblings that are still in school. And we begin to walk home. But as we're walking home, I've just gotten off the bus, and I'm so tired, so worn out, that I lay my books down on the road just right by where we have been dropped off. And I lay down and fall asleep. Now, granted, I've got four other siblings that live with us, and they don't notice, and they keep on walking. And a little while later, 5, 10, maybe 15 minutes later, I wake up 
and walk a few more paces, maybe five, ten paces. And I lay back down and I go back to sleep. And I sleep for maybe another five, ten, fifteen minutes and I wake up and go another five paces or thereabouts and lay back down. And I have fallen asleep again for another fifteen minutes. And I wake up and I take a few more paces. The day is now beginning to drag on and I still have not made it home. My dad begins to ask, begins to ask my siblings, where is Brom? And nobody seems to have a clue. My younger brother doesn't know. My older brother doesn't know. My sisters don't know. Nobody knows where Brom is and dad is looking for me. And I'm not in the house. I'm not in the yard. I'm not at the neighbor's house. And so dad starts to walk down the street. And I am laying in the middle of the road, still quite a ways off from the house. And I can hear dad's voice yelling, calling out my name. But I'm too far. And I'm too tired. I'm too worn out. And I don't have what it takes to make it to my father's house. And so I'm still sleeping in the middle of the road. But as I notice Dad's voice gets closer and closer, and finally consciousness hits me, and I recognize that that is Dad's voice. And Dad makes his way to me, and he picks me up, tries first to get me to walk, but I'm just too tired. Have a fever and don't recognize it. Just too sick. I can't make it home. And so dad bends down and picks me up, puts me in his arms and carries me the rest of the way home. And when I get there, there's mom and they have taken care of me and nurtured me back to health. Why is that story interesting? Because you see, you and I, 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 I can't help but see very close similarities to our walk with our Father. You and I have been set out and we're doing the best that we can. And sometimes we even win awards. We have just done, we've given our all, our best. And everybody notices, and sometimes we get recognition, and sometimes, see, when I won the jump roping contest, there were some guys that threw me up on their shoulders, and they pranced around with me, as it was obvious that I had, I had beaten everybody in the school. And, but I still didn't have enough energy, enough juice to make it home. And so we have been dropped off, and we're trying to make it to the Father's house. We're doing our best, but we're just too tired. We don't have what it takes to make it all the way. No, it's not that everything was bad. It's not that we've messed up. It's not that our days are just horrible. We just don't have it in us to go any further. We've given our all. We've given our all in life. We won awards, but we just don't have enough. And so we've laid down in the middle of the road, and we've fallen asleep. We've crashed, 
And every now and then, we jar ourselves awake and we say we can go a little bit further and we'll take a few more steps. But then before long, we're out of juice, we're out of energy, and we can't go any further. So we're going to lay back down and we're going to fall asleep again. And the cycle will repeat itself. We'll wake up and we'll go a few more steps. But then fine, we just don't have what it takes to make it home. But if you listen in the distance, you've gotten just as close to the Father's house as you can. But if you listen in the distance, you'll hear the Father calling your name. The Father's calling your name. He's been looking around the house. He's been looking and searching, saying, where? Where are you? Asking around. Nobody seems to have any idea. But the Father knows that you're missing. The Father knows. And so he's calling out your name. And if you listen intently, you can hear him calling your name from a distance. And he's calling and he's calling. If you will zoom in your hearing, you can hear the approaching voice of the Father as he calls you. As the Father gets closer, his voice becomes louder. And no doubt, now there's that new form of consciousness that has not been there before, a new awareness. And the Father will reach down and pick you up. And the Father will take you where you could not go on your own. The Father will take you to his house. You see, you and I, no matter how perfect we think we are, no matter how many contests we think we've won, no matter if we got blue ribbons in life, we just don't have what it takes to make it all the way home. We simply don't have what it takes to achieve that one goal and that one dream. We can beat our peers. We can do better than everybody else. But when it comes to making it home, we still can't do it. But that's okay. Because the Father says, I'll pick you up and I'll take you home. I'll take you to where you can't make it on your own. See, whether or not we recognize it, that's exactly what Calvary was. Calvary was the Father saying, I'll come down and I'll become the Son. And I'll pick you up and I'll carry the weight of your sin on my shoulders. I'll come down and I'll deliver you. I'm so glad that now I'm being carried by the arms of of the Father. And one day, those arms are going to carry me inside those gates and inside that home where I will have rest forever. What a beautiful thought. One day, one glorious, beautiful day. Let me take a break. When I come back, we will go through the Quran, and uh, then after that, we'll go through the Bible in a quadrillion years. Hold on just a second.
And there it is, the car crash, the collision, if you will, of Christianity and Islam, or Chrislam. The joining together of two totally polar opposite beliefs, or the joining of Islam and Judaism, which is utter nonsense. So we are in chapter two, and again, we are seeing why Islam cannot coexist with any other religion. Truthfully, Christianity cannot either. However, Christianity will not kill you for not being a Christian. Islam will kill you for not being Islamic and not being Islamic enough. Christianity, that is not the case, and Judaism, that is not the case, but Islam it is. Um, Buddhism, they will not kill you for not being Buddhist enough. Hindus will not kill you for not being Hindu-y enough, but Islam will. And we're looking at the Quran. We are in their second chapter, or what they refer to in English as the cow. We're going to pick up at verse number 55, and we're going to try to go down to 62 if we can. This is what it says. And remember when you said, O Moses, we shall never believe in you till we see Allah plainly. But you were seized with a thunderbolt, a lightning, while you were looking. Then we raised you up after your death so that you might be grateful. And we shaded you with clouds and sent down on you manna and quail, saying, Eat of the good lawful things we have provided for you. But they rebelled, and they did not wrong us, but they wronged themselves. And remember when we said, Enter this town, Jerusalem, and eat bountifully therein with pleasure and delight wherever you wish, and enter the gate in prostration or bowing with humility, and say, Forgive us, and we shall forgive you your sins, and shall increase the reward for the good doers. But those who did wrong changed the word from that which had been told to them for another. So we sent upon the wrongdoers a punishment from the heavens because of their rebelling against Allah's obedience. And remember when Moses asked for water for his people, he, we said, Strike the stone with your stick. Then gushed forth, therefore, twelve springs. Each group of people knew its own place for water. Eat and drink of that which Allah has provided, and do not act corruptly, making mischief on the earth. And remember when you said, O Moses, we cannot endure one kind of food. So invoke your Lord for us to bring forth for us of what the earth grows, its herbs, its cucumbers, its weed or garlic, its lentils, and its onions. He said, Would you exchange that which is better for that which is lower? Go you down to any town, and you shall find what you want. And they were covered with humiliation and misery, and they drew of themselves the wrath of Allah. That was because they used to disbelieve the Arat, the proofs, evidence, verses, lessons, signs, revelations, etc., of Allah, and killed the prophets wrongfully. That was because they disobeyed and used to transgress the bounds in their disobedience to Allah, i.e. commit crimes and sins. Verily, those who believe and those who are Jews and Christians and Sabians Whoever believes in Allah and the last day and do righteous good deeds shall have their reward with their Lord. On them shall be no fear, nor shall they grieve. So remember, we are looking at some differences between them. And uh, again, we're going to find them. They are going to be very apparent, very clear. So we're picking up verse number 55. We're going to go back there. 
says, remember when you said, oh Moses, we shall never believe in you till we see Allah plainly. Again, recognize that they never said that. As a matter of fact, at one time that Moses was going to talk to the Lord and they, they wanted to have their own word and they freaked out. Um, and they said, no, no, never mind, never mind. Just you, Moses, just you. <laughs> so we don't see where this is ever transpires. We see actually the opposite happens. But you were seized with a thunderbolt, lightning, while you were looking. Okay, that much, I'll, I'll give them that. that they, they were scared, but they never said, we won't believe until we see Allah plainly. That's just not the case, not what I gather. When we raised you up after your death so that you might be grateful. Um, what in the world are they talking about? Are they talking about one generation dying off in the wilderness and another generation coming up? Who knows? Who knows? Um, the, 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 that entire verse seems to be out of context, but uh, nonetheless, let's move on. And we shaded you with clouds and sent down on you manna and quail, saying, eat of the good lawful things we have provided for you. But they rebelled. So they rebelled. What? They didn't eat the manna and the quail? Uh, because that's not what I've gathered. <laughs> what I've seen is, uh, actually, they did eat the manna and the quail. As a matter of fact, uh, sometimes they tried to store up a little extra, and they paid for that, but uh, but you rebelled. makes no sense. And they did not wrong us, but they wronged themselves. Now, again, get this. It's saying us and we. Us and we, over and over again. Now, why is this? This is not the God of the Old Testament. This is not the God of the Torah. The God of the Torah would not refer to himself as we and, well, he might us, because in the beginning, he said, let us make man in our own image. But from then on, it was I, me, over and over and over. And the us, you could take from either he's speaking to his own wisdom, he's speaking to the angels, and so on and so forth. Anyway, all right, so let's move on. Verse number 58. And remember when we said, enter this town, and it doesn't actually say Jerusalem, but they have put that into the context. Enter this town, Jerusalem, and eat bountifully therein with pleasure and delight wherewith, wherever you wish, and enter the gate in prostration or bowing with humility. Um, I'm sorry, but if you read the Torah, if you read what Christians call the Old Testament, you're not going to find where this is the case. This has never been the case. Why would they have to go? Who are they supposed to bow down to? This is a simple question. Does anybody remember Mordecai? Mordecai got in trouble. Why? Because he would not bow. Anybody remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? These three guys got in trouble. Why? Because they would not bow. <laughs> and here, uh, this ignorant book is saying that when you enter into Jerusalem, you've got to bow. No. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's only one we bow to. There's only one. That's God Almighty. That's Jehovah of the Old Testament, Jesus of the New. Bowing to a city, bowing to any other, is an abomination and an outright sin, and I believe we'll be judged for it. That's how strong I believe on it. And say, forgive us, and we shall forgive you your sins and shall increase reward for the good doers. So now we're seeing that this is not, the, the mercy has no place in the Quran, has absolutely no place. 
We're going to reward the good doers. And those who did wrong changed the word from that which had been told to them for another. So we went, so we sent upon the wrongdoers a punishment from the heaven because of their rebelling against Allah's obedience. Because they did not do what Allah said, which is not the same thing as what God said. Remember when Moses asked for water for his people, again, I don't see anywhere. It says, we said, strike the stone with your stick, then gushed forth therefrom twelve springs. What? Where? Where? Somebody give me a chapter and verse where anywhere in scripture it says that. Each group of people knew its own place for water. Eat and drink of that which Allah has provided and do not act corruptly, making mischief on the earth. Um, and go back through history and you will see that the Jews are not, have never been the ones making mischief. It has always been the Islamists. Verse 61, remember when you said, oh Moses, we cannot endure one kind of food. You know what? I've gone on long enough. I'm going to pick up later on at verse 61 and we'll finish because I don't want to waste any more time with this garbage and nonsense. When we come back, we'll go through the Bible in a quadrillion years. Hold on just a second. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. American individuals who not only recognize that righteousness exalted the nation, but see the reproach to any people. And we are back, and we're about to go through the Bible in a quadrillion years. Real quick, just before we do, I want to refer back to chapter 38. I brought out one thing, but there are so many things to bring out that there's just not enough time to ever bring out every aspect of a story. But there's one other aspect that we did not bring out that I think is fitting, and we could recognize that later on in Scripture, the Bible said, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Is that not the case with these twins that are born? The first was last, and the last was first. So again, there's many different ways that we can look at the scriptures and uh, different points and thoughts that we can gather from them. But uh, anyway, I did want to bring that out. So just in case I looked at it a different way than you've looked at it, um, join the club. You can always look at the Bible, and it's going to speak to you over and over and over again ways that you had not previously Conceived. We're in Genesis chapter 39, which is a big, big deal. What an amazing accomplishment. That much closer to finishing Genesis. Genesis chapter 39, we're going to pick up at verse number one, and we're going to go down to verse number three. The Bible says this, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. <laughs> this is just too cool. Remember, Joseph has been tricked into and now sold into slavery. He is now uh, in the bottom of the barrel, if you were. They, they threw him into his pit. This was his siblings. Reuben tried to sneak him out back to his father, but by the time Reuben got back, found that he was gone. So they took his coat of many colors. They put it in blood and then told dad, we found the jacket, but we don't know where the boy is. And so dad's saying, surely he was eaten by some beast. 
and the story kind of disappears, and now we're being brought back. Although we do know by the end of, I think it was chapter 37, that Joseph is in Potiphar's house. And now we're picking back up with the story of Joseph. And Joseph's brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard. So this is not just another guy. This Potiphar character is a man of authority, a man of power. Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard. So he's he's up there in the chain of command. An Egyptian bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had bought, brought him down thither. So the Ishmaelites that bought him from the boys, from the tribes, from the other 11 or 10, I guess, they have sold him to Potiphar, this character, this man who has power and authority. And he is now in Egypt. Verse number two said, and the Lord was with Joseph. So now, remember, Joseph has been sold into slavery, but even in slavery, his slave master recognizes. The Bible says the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. I think this just goes to show you cannot keep a good man down. You cannot do it. As a matter of fact, the more that you attack him, I preached a message just not too long ago about Joseph being backed into his dream. He was being shoved into his dream. They pushed him into a pit and they were pushing him into his dream. The Bible said, and the Lord was with Joseph. All of this that was going on, all of this that has transpired, God's with him. God's watching him. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. It doesn't harm him. As a matter of fact, it blesses him. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. So not only was he the slave of the Egyptian, Potiphar, but he was elevated. He was actually in the house of the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him. So now Potiphar recognizes Joseph has a relationship with God. God has smiled on the labor of this one Hebrew boy. God has smiled on it to the extent that even his master knows there's something different about him. I know he was in slavery. I know that he by no rights should have a say or have authority, but he's prosperous. How can you be prosperous when you're in slavery? Because you can't keep a good man down. And anybody that's got a relationship with God that is growing and that is sustainable, they will be prosperous in any environment. That's right. Any environment, they will be prosperous. They will find a way to raise above, to get... They, what do they say? The cream always rises to the top. The cream always rises to the top. Anybody with a relationship with God, even if you're a slave, you'll rise to the top and you'll be successful. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. This is one of the crazy things that we see that Joseph had gotten from Jacob. Because 
Remember, Jacob and Laban had this thing going. And so they would say, well, the spotted sheep, the spots on the animals, those will be yours and the other will be mine. And so then there were more spots and there were not. And so Laban would get upset and they would switch it around. They'll do a switcheroo and come to find out that now the opposite is exactly true. <laughs> that God will bless everything Jacob touches. And so now the Lord is blessing everything that Joseph touches. And it is beginning to bud. Oh, that doesn't mean that there's not persecution, that there's not turmoil, that there's not distrust. Doesn't mean that there's not hard times that Joseph will go through and has gone through even at this point. And there's plenty more that are going to come his way as we read through the life of Joseph. But you can't help but recognize that every time he's stuck in a bad environment or a bad situation, that the Lord comes through and shows out again over and over and over. And if you walk with Jesus, you find that this is still the case. You're going to have rough times. There are going to be storms that will rage in your life. There are going to be struggles and heartaches and pain. There are going to be things that you wish would not happen. However, in the middle of it all, you will overcome. And the things that should have destroyed you will instead make you prosperous. The things that everybody else would have thought would bring you down, God would use to elevate you. We'll sell you into slavery. That will ruin you. And God will elevate you in slavery. We'll put you in jail. That will ruin you. And the Lord will elevate you in the jail cell. I'm running out of time. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you later. <laughs>